0: I've heard many reports about this man, and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here tonight. We pray uh, Father that you would teach us. Lord that you would forgive us of our sins. That you would hide us behind you. And Holy Spirit that you would fill this house. And Father God, any word uh, that would uh, come out of my mouth I pray that it would be yours. Because I'm a sinful man. I just ask for your cleansing. That you would help me stand before this congregation, speak only what you want me to speak, We give you back everything that's due to you. All of the honor, all of the glory, and all of the praise, Father. We love you. Thank you so much for your Son, Jesus, and what He did for us, so that we can have this new life tonight. Guide us now and teach us, dear God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we talked about a little guy whose life was changed. I I keep looking at Mark through this, and it doesn't work very well, so I'm dropping them. Nicodemus was uh, saved, and his life was totally changed. But there's much more to it uh, than that. This is the last Sunday in January. We've been talking about new beginnings in Christ uh, all month. Tonight I want to talk about something that I've labeled as a new hope. I pray that, uh, number one, they are is convicted. Number two, that your heart is blessed. Number three, that the Spirit spurs you on the way that He wants you to individually work in your life. And uh, that you can be the life in 2012 that He wants us to be. Saul was a wicked, wicked, wicked man. He didn't like Christians. Because everything that he stood for said that this thing called the way... Was a cult. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He was going to do everything that he could to get what he saw as filth and heresy out of the church of the day. It was his job as a Pharisee to share salvation with the world, but he didn't. He held it close and he thought that he was better than everybody. He was taught under a man by the name of Gamaliel. And Galileo was probably like the number one teacher of the day. He was Saul's mentor. Saul's zeal was so powerful that he wanted to leave Jerusalem. And he got that permission to go all the way to Damascus. And back then, that was a long trip. Now we could do it in an hour. Not anymore. So as he's on the road, he sees his whole life shattered before his eyes. He sees this light and he hears this voice. Later on he testifies that this voice, who we know as Jesus, said, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goats? Why are you fighting me? He said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus. I can't imagine what a Pharisee like Paul felt because everything that he'd ever learned and everything that he had ever taught crashed right then. He was blinded. And he went in and and the Lord used a man by the name of Ananias. Saul Saul was well known. Ananias knew who he was, because Saul's reputation preceded him. So as he came in into Damascus, Ananias already knew it. But the Lord called Ananias, and Ananias obeyed that call. And he went. And he met Saul. Saul was praying. He'd been there for three days, unable to see. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you can imagine, just putting your hand over your face or a cloth over your eyes, you see nothing. Nothing as black as black can be. See one of you going like this? It's really dark. That was what Saul's soul was like before the road to Damascus God called him and he obeyed he didn't say who are you Lord with a little L he said who are you Lord capital L he knew that he was speaking to the Lord he knew that this just wasn't some voice out in the wilderness and his life was changed so he went there led by the hand helpless and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and a couple days later Ananias comes in and he lays his hands on him. But before he did that, he said, Brother Saul, Ananias just prayed to God, saying, This is a bad guy. And God told Ananias, Go. I got a job for him to do. It. And Ananias, in his faith, believed God and believed his promise. It's one of the things that made Ananias the righteous man that he was. He trusted God. And he went in to the stranger. There was a wicked, wicked enemy only three days before, and he called him a brother. He treated him as a brother, and he laid his hands on him. And the blindness, like scales, came off from Saul's eyes. And he was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he went out, and immediately he began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died for our sins. The same man that went about like a crazy guy, like a mad dog, was now standing up in the temple and synagogues, saying that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the way to heaven, that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And he grew more powerful day by day by day as the Lord worked in his life. He came to free of seed. Something that I've learned tonight is a new hope That's what I'd like to talk about. So what is this new hope? I've, I'm going to mention six items. And the first one you see here, we become justified before God. Something happens when we bow our knee and we say, Father God, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I need you with my heart. And when we ask the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives, it's immediate. God knows our heart. And we're going to talk about the change that it, 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 does and should cause in our lives but that justification is something that just it happens that quick these scriptures are very basic tonight because this is where I think we need to go in 2012 I know it's where I need to go I think too hard on God we're justified and it says there in Romans 5 1 and 2 therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. To think back in your life, before you asked Jesus in, how did you look at God? What did you think he was? Who do you think he was? Now today, how do you look at God? And who do you think he is? Because I know, to me, he was just this big, almighty, powerful being out there that he was just out there, but I didn't know him. I didn't know him. And then I remember the day in that little white navy chapel in San Diego when I prayed that prayer using the book called *The Four Spiritual Laws* from Campus Crusade. Now I remember when David the missionary to the base, prayed with me. Then I remember, after we were done, he says, hey everybody, Brad just asked the Lord into his life. Didn't really realize what I had done. Everybody, every single person in that chapel came up and gave me a hug and said, welcome to the family. I'd never had anything like that because my family back home was broken. That love and that welcome Gave me such a beautiful feeling in my heart. And today as I look back on it. It helps me understand what it is to be justified. Because there's no way I could stand before you here. I prayed earlier and said I'm a sinner. I really am. I'm a sinner. And I know my life. And I know the things that I've done wrong in my life. There's only one way I can be justified. And that's by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because we're justified, we can smile. Because we're justified, we can say, I know without a doubt I'm going to heaven. I fell down off of this step and cracked my head on the corner or something like that. I know that if I die, I know, I know who's the rock of my salvation. I know there's only one person, and His name is Jesus Christ. And it makes me able to stand by faith and the grace that I have, the grace that I have, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and stand before God. Number two, we become a new creature. Again, these scriptures are very basic. If you don't know them, memorize them. Take the time because that's the that's the firm root and ground of the Word. We become new creatures in Christ, reconciled to God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, cre- uh, new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation part of our thoughts as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago about being uh, justified and looking at God before and then looking at God now and to see the difference as part of being that new creature I am so full of sin our priorities in life and we're going to talk about priorities here in a a couple more minutes but Part of that making us a new creature is we concentrate on physical things and then mental things and then spiritual things last until we come to Jesus Christ. When we come to Jesus Christ, we now think about spiritual things first, or we should. It doesn't always work like that, but we should. We think about spiritual things, then we think about mental things, and then we think about the flesh of physical things last. Our priorities flip totally upside down. Really, they're just reconciled to God. Okay, back to the way that He wants us to be. When we talk about old things being gone, the old desires of the flesh, the old thoughts, all of those things. When Jesus was on the cross, what's the last three words He said at the beginning of that sentence? He said, it is finished. Then He said after that, Into thy hands do I commend my spirit. Okay, He gave up the Holy Ghost. He gave His life. Even at that point, He could have cried out, He could have called down legions of angels to take Him down off of that cross. But He thought you were worth it. He thought I was worth it. He knew that we were separated from God. God loves us so much that even before the foundations of the world, He knew that The act of Adam and Eve in the garden was going to be irreconcilable to a large degree, unless he did something about it. That's where he turned to his son, before the foundations of the world, before he said, let us make man in our image. They had made a decision that Jesus was going to have to come down and he was going to have to reconcile the world to him. Reconciliation when you have a fight with somebody that you love. Or you have an argument and you go to bed at night and you're upset at the other person. That's hard. Or you talk to somebody in the family on the phone. And it's the wrong subject to talk about on the phone, but you do it anyway. And when you hang up the phone, there's a big wall. When you have an argument with a friend... You feel that wall come up and you know that that wall needs to be torn down. You need to be reconciled. You need to be able to say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? When we say that to God, when we say, Father, I'm sorry, please forgive me, please cover me with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, instant reconciliation. Instant. And he calls us back to Himself. And He wraps us up in His arms. And He gives us... He, he gives us...
1: He gives us a
0: peace that we can't even understand. It's something that we just can't fathom. We don't want to talk to God when we sin. We're separated from Him. But He takes our sins... And He throws it as far as east is to the west. And when you throw it east, it never stops going east. That sin is gone... God has a capability to do something. He has a capability, just like it says there, not count men's sins against them. He has a capability to forget our sin. He chooses to throw those sins away. Because when He looks at you, because you're now justified, what does He see? I'm sorry, who does He see? He sees His Son. He sees you through the lens of the promise. And the promise, the sacrifice of Jesus. Number three, we're sealed. Because we now belong to God. And He marks us in a very special way. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. It pleases God to mark us. It pleases God to do what He's doing in our lives. It's His will that none should perish, but that every single person in the world would come to repentance and know Him. The Bible says, many are called, few are chosen. Because God calls every single person. But not every single person chooses God. Because the way God created us as man, you know, we have emotions, we have everything else. We've got the capability to think out a decision and make a decision for the good or for the bad in our lives. We're the only created being That God made like that Gives us a choice When we make the choice to come to Jesus Christ He seals us You know when the Bible says that We're the temple The Holy Spirit lives inside of us When I prayed that prayer I asked Jesus To come upon the throne of my heart And to sit there But what do we do? We tend to climb back up on that throne and take our seat because we want to make ourselves king of our own life. Then God uh, causes us to get back down and to put Jesus back on the throne. The Spirit of Jesus lives inside of us. And that's the seal. That third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Remember the Father sent the Son. And the Son said, I'm going to send you my comforter. Remember that day of Pentecost where 3,000 people were saved. Remember when the the Holy Spirit entered the disciples. When you bow your head and you ask the Lord into your life, and it's not always a lightning bolt, just have peace inside of your heart that says, you now belong to me. And what did Jesus say? Who can take us out of His hand? Once you're sealed with that Holy Spirit, Nobody can touch you. Nobody can take you away. It's a supernatural possession. It's like a a down payment on a house. And it is. It's a down payment on the mansion we're going to get one day. Because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you to be with me. And actually in John chapter 17, when Jesus prayed for our unity as a church, He also prayed for that day where He's going to come and He's going to take His church, take His possession to be with Him. He wants to be with us. The Holy Spirit is your promissory note. I'll never leave you. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What do you mean? do never, never, never leave us alone. Number four, our priorities change. Philippians 3, 10-14. Paul's in prison. And he knows he's probably going to die soon. And the prisons back then were really, really nasty. He was in chapels. He was cold and every other dirty thing you could imagine was in that dungeon with him. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Bottom comment. Paul considered everything else in his life as but rubbish done so that he could gain Christ. You know, the Lord told Ananias what when he said, Go get Saul and go lay your hands on him. And Ananias said, Lord, I don't really want to. And he said, Go and do it anyway because I have major plans for this guy. And I'm also going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my sake. His change was so extreme. For being a cold blooded murderer and chasing the Christians down like they were the common criminal of the day. Because he was insane, insanely crazy, if that makes any sense. He hated the new believers. They were a cult. And they were going to drag everybody in the world to hell. That's what he believed. When he had that event in his life, and his and and his 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 heart was flipped on its head, and he realized who you are, Jesus. When he said, Who are you, Lord? He knew he was talking to God in the flesh. He knew it at that moment. And he went out. And he had to get right with God. Now the Bible says he went into Arabia for three years. Close to three years. What was he doing there? Because the Bible doesn't talk about it. Why did he go? He had to think about everything that he had learned. Remember the Pharisees of the day were the most taught. When it came to religion they were the best. God chose Paul for a reason. Because he knew the word of God so well that he could defend it. Once he was filled with the Holy Spirit anyway. His priorities changed. He said that I am compelled to preach the gospel of Christ. That I can't stop myself. It's an addiction. That's what he says he didn't want anything. He said that he would do it he would do it free of charge. Because he just wanted to see the kingdom enlarged. He wanted to see one thing. Says God's possession of the praise of his glory in the end of Ephesians 1, 13 and fourteen. He wanted to see the Lord praised. He wanted to see God glorified. He wanted people to understand that the very mediator. Between God and man was his son, Jesus Christ, and he was willing to risk everything that he had and consider everything lost so that he could go out and do that. If you're a Christian today, blame it on Paul, because Paul was the one that did it. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He brought us the gospel. Because of his legacy, we hear Jesus Christ. Actions. I have to go back to Acts, because this is where the brother meant the road for Paul. And once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Paul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. How can we emulate that? How can we copy what Paul has done? Because our number one John is go, Go unto all nations preaching the gospel. And Jesus said it starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Guantanamo Bay is the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you're here, and you believe in Jesus Christ, and He's living in your life, you have a job. And the job is to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. People's going to hate you. But Jesus said, you know, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. But He also said, make a decision. What side are you on? Are you willing to pick up your cross and follow me? And when he said that, a lot of people stopped following Jesus Christ because they knew that the cross meant one thing. The cross meant death. The cross meant persecution. Last week, over 200 Christians were killed on the continent of Africa, Nigeria. in Nigeria. 200 Christians. And they were killed by people that hate Jesus Christ. That can come to our homeland someday. And personally, I believe it will. But what did Paul say? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and salvation to those who believe. This is all going to go away anyway. We're going to stand in the presence of God one day. He's going to judge us. I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ because of all of those sins that I've personally committed in my life. I've been divorced twice. I'm married a third time. What in the world has gone on in my life? I've made some bad, bad mistakes. am not going to get into whether it's my fault or somebody else's fault. It doesn't matter. The mess of my life. I've hurt friends because of decisions that I've made. And I've been hurt. But we have to take all of this and we have to make a decision. And all over the years when I've made my mistakes and the Lord has picked me back up. And then I've made mistakes and the Lord has picked me back up. I've come to a point in my life to realize that I can't do this anymore. I've got to stop trying to do it on my own. Because i would walked great with the Lord for three, four, five years. And then I'd have a bad year or two. Bad things would happen in my life. Is that your life too? It could be a small thing. It could be the subject of gossiping and talking about other people. It could be cussing at work. It could be any number of things, but what is it in your life that's keeping a wall up between you and God? God loves you. He sent His Son. Jesus is still going to stand up for you, but that doesn't mean in 2012 we can't focus a little bit on what we're doing for the Lord. One of my dear, dear friends who came here two years ago that's going to be leaving him, and I'm talking about Gabby. Uh, but I say it because I'm very proud because I've seen some cool growth. I've also seen him say, I'm going to do this and to see that steadfast comment and he's not wavering. On it. I feel good about that and I'm blessed. I'm proud to be part of his salvation. Even just a little part. Whose salvation are you part of? What can you do to share Jesus Christ with someone? Because they're watching us and they want to hear it. They reject it at times, but they want to hear it. So in 2012, as we talk about the change in uh, Zacchaeus' life, the change in Paul's life, how can we copy that? How can we emulate that? Colossians 1 24 through 29 says this Now I rejoice with what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling, with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. A prayer that's been in my heart ever since I became a Christian was, Father, don't ever let me leave you. And He hasn't. He hasn't. There's something about Him. Every time I start to question myself, God opens the door to share Christ. Remember the first time on on Diego Garcia, October the 7th, 2000, I know because I arrived on the 6th, October the 7th, Irene San Diego, she was an IT1 in the United States Navy, worked for me, I didn't know it at the time, but we were talking, she was a Catholic, she prayed to ask the Lord into her life that night and her life was flipped on its head. When I went to CFBS that first Sunday, I stood up in tears and I said, My job here is already done. Because one person came to Christ. But if you get the chance to share Jesus Christ with someone, there's nothing like it. And if you don't do that, or if you don't know how to do that, do it. Or learn how to do it. Because there's something special When you plant a seed and somebody else comes back later and says, because you shared Jesus Christ with me, today I'm a changed person. I remember going to Uncle Gene and Aunt Alice. And I remember a guy sitting on the swing in Sterling, Kansas, behind the school. He's sitting there and he's 15 years old and he's telling me, Brad, you've got to know Jesus. I didn't have the foggiest idea what the dude was talking about. I called him a couple years ago. His father was my English teacher, by the way. Um, And I talked to him on the phone. The guy was speechless. He didn't know that that conversation behind the 100-year-old library in a small town in Kansas, that he was going to plant a seed in another young man that was one of his friends. And he said... You must have Jesus. And he said, Can't you see that? His action gained fruit in, in this young man's life. And I'm staying on this longer because it's the most important thing we can do share Jesus Christ with somebody else. Number six, we become united. Ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's people that say, "I'm good. I got Jesus. I'm fine. Just come to church with me." No, I'm good. I got I got Jesus. I got my Bible. I'm good to go. When you don't fellowship. And I'm not going to hit anybody uh, because uh, the brothers and sisters here from the Philippines have worked so hard to to take care of their family. But if you can find a day during the week to refill your gas tank spiritually, to find a Bible study or something, to try to get a couple hours off because I know you have part-time jobs. Take the time. Tell your boss... I don't work on Sunday nights. I don't work on Sunday night. Tell your boss, I need a Wednesday off or a Thursday off or something so that you can fellowship and you can gain strength with your brothers and sisters. This church was so severely persecuted back in the day. Um, We were talking in the Bible study uh, last week. I have seen the catacombs. And I've seen those places where those early, early Christians had to hide. They're not pretty. They're bad, bad places. That's where they went. They fled. Their life was hard. People like Caligula and Nero were killing Christians left and right. We're not getting that. But we could someday. So are you strong enough? And are you united enough as a church? Fellowshiping together, breaking bread, being concerned for each other. Jesus said this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God loved us that much. He loves us that much. And what does Jesus pray here? Not just for his disciples, but he prays for us. And he prays throughout his prayer for our unity. This is where the devil likes to play games with us because we're not as united as we could be. 2011 has been challenging for this church and for some of us brothers and sisters in it. And I know there's a couple that... Uh, of us that have taught and our concerns for the unity of this church. I talked to another brother just before church today, and he says, I'm worried about this church. We've got so many people leaving. It's going to really hurt this little church. By witnessing and sharing and being united and stepping up and being involved where you're gifted to be involved is what's going to help this church survive 2012. This is one of those churches that has a, it looks like a normal door, but it actually revolves. And it's, people's coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, so fast. So if you sing, somebody needs your help. If you speak, if you encourage, if you work, if you teach. If you pray, if you have a place, the doors of which you can open to invite a couple people in. I'm going harass Mark and Joe over here because I know their house has kind of been open for the music ministry and they harass you a lot over there, don't they? It's a good thing. Open your door. <laughs> open your door. That's what it's about. We'll never be united as a church until we hang out together and put up with each other anyway. Ephesians four twenty two through 28 says this, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God and through righteousness and holiness, With those in need. Continues on to five, chapter uh, five, verse two. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling and slander along every form, with, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Therefore as dearly beloved, uh, uh, therefore as dearly loved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I don't know if I've done that very well. And I ask that you would let the Holy Spirit search your own heart and see where you stand. Because nobody in this church does that perfectly. We can all get better. This is something that I've had to learn over the years. The Christian family still has sin in it. The Christian family is perfect because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not because of what you or I can do. We're cleansed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. With that said, how can we walk better? How can we stand up straighter? How can we bless God and please God? I want to publicly say one name. And he's probably the most humble Christian I've met in about, I don't know, a couple decades. And that's my brother. That's my next door neighbor, Patrick. When I'm fired up over something, all I have to do is say something to him. And there's always a kind word coming back. That's how he washes my feet as a brother and as a friend. Just like Jesus that night when the disciples said, No, we don't want you to wash our feet. Remember he told Peter, if you don't let me wash my feet, wash your feet, you can have none of it. Peter said, okay, here I am, wash all of me. When I hear the words and the iron sharpening me out of Brother Patrick, I'm blessed. And I say that just because I'm proud to have him as a brother, someone that I can talk to. I got to meet another brother and started having coffee with my brother over here on the side, Joshua. And I'm so blessed. Because the words that came out of his mouth taught me. The words that came out of my mouth, his mouth, are in this service tonight. Because of things that convicted my heart. Because of what a young, young Christian said to me. We tend to overthink things. We need to get back to the basics of loving each other as God loves us. And as he said, he presents us before God as clean and holy. He gave himself on the cross so that we could be united and so that we could love each other. Because if we're not united and if we're not loving each other, it's going to hurt. And our witness is gone. Colossians 3 says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. And admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father for Him. It's time for me to refocus my thoughts. And the biggest battle, one of the biggest battles that I've personally Went through in 2011 was the battle of the mind and the battle of the thoughts. And even driving down the road, when a thought comes into my mind, and I have to, I have to commit it to Christ, because the devil is going to use everything he can as a foothold. And I continue to work with that, continue to work with that, and continue to be convicted, because if I have the right thoughts and everything else, I'm going to react toward you, my brothers and sisters, the proper way. If I don't have the right thoughts. I won't react to you the way that I should, or to Patrick, or vice versa, or to John, Joshua, or to Mark, or any, any of you. How can we react to each other, how can we clean up our thought process, so that we can be united? And it's critical this share. just to read to you, you're justified, you're a new creation, All of that old stuff is gone. Don't let the devil knock you down and think that you're guilty. You're not guilty. You can be convicted all you want, but do not be guilty. The devil makes you say you're guilty. The Holy Spirit makes you say you're convicted and changes you. We are sealed by Christ with the Holy Spirit. And nothing can take us away from God. No principality. No power. No darkness. uh, no, no, No powers of darkness. Nothing out there. Can separate us from the love of God. And again. Nobody can take you away from God. If you've committed your life to Christ. You're His. That's it. Our priorities change. The change in the priority. Changes our actions. And the hardest part. Is being united. I would pray that this 2012. We can do that. Let us commit ourselves to bring. To be the united Christian family. Here on Gitmo. That Jesus prayed for us to be. Because we are part of that prayer. God bless you Ms. this prayer.